0: Preacher, I heard one time he said, uh, "Christian life isn't about setbacks and going forward. That the the joy in your Christian walk, is it's not constantly losing your way and then getting back to God and losing your way and getting back to God." And I agree with that. Our walk shouldn't be that. Our walk ought to be stable. It ought to be with God every day, with God in prayer, with God in meditation, with God in His Word like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And that's why we go with that here. But there are times, there, there are times that you get away from God as a Christian. You may be saved. You may have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there, but there's times in people's lives, you know them, it may have happened in your own life, that something will pop up, that something will get a hold of you, that something will drag you away. I know this has happened in my own life. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I ain't proud of it. But there have been times we get away from God, we're looking for a church, or we're looking for a place, and begin to drift just a little bit. It never happens where you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backslide. I'm going to get back on God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall back on God. I'm going to go do things my own way and I'm going to go out there and this is what I'm going to do. And Lord, I'm just going to walk away from you and I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to read your word. I'm not going to pray. It doesn't happen like that to a true Christian. A true Christian says, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be with you. But things crop up. I'm not saying that you're innocent. I'm not saying that things, you know, they, they say, uh, Somebody that's uh, committed adultery, they say, well, you know, we never intended to. It just kind of happened, kind of happened by accident. But it happens by bits and pieces. And I want to look at today at a man after God's own heart. And I want to talk about the long road back. Because David was known as a man after God's own heart. When we look in the Old Testament and we look at David, we see a man who desired to worship God. Some of the happiest times we see in David's life are when he's following the Lord. When he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the house, back to Jerusalem, up to his house, we see David out there dancing. When we see uh, David on his knees praying to God, he turns things over to the Lord. He follows the Lord with his heart. And this place here, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're also going to be in Psalm 51, and you all know the story, but we're going to look at it today This incident shows us David's heart more than anything because there's a lot of people that can praise God in the good times, but it's turning back to God after you've turned your back on him. And David did in this instance, and we're going to look at it, but he did, in a sense, turn his back on God. He began to go after the things that he wanted rather than what God wanted. And I've thought about this incident with Bathsheba, and I just want to take a look at it. In 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verse number 1, it starts out, it says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem." You know, one of the great things about the Bible, it doesn't just tell us stories of heroes and mighty victories. It doesn't tell us the story about people that never fell, but it shows people warts and all. A man just writing this away from God, he would have just written about his victories. And David had great victory over Ammon and David had great victory over Saul. But when the Bible writes it, the Bible lays it out and says, David, this is where you messed up. This was a time when kings go to battle. But David had reached a point where the kingdom was settled and he was settled down in Jerusalem. And he, he kind of sat back on his haunches and he said, you know what, I'm going to let Joab go out there and handle it. I'm going to let my army handle it because I'm in charge and I'm going to let them go and handle it. So the first thing we see is David's not in the place that he should be. The Bible tells us it is a time when kings go to battle that David sent Joab. And then verse number two, we start to see where something goes wrong. When people backslide, they, it begins with not being in their place. It begins with them, uh, they might not go to church. I, I said the times in my life when I have backslid or times when I couldn't find a church or times when I say, you know, I won't go this morning. And uh, you begin to get away from God. You begin to get away from God's people. That doesn't mean that you're automatically backslidden just because you didn't show up on Sunday morning. But I found that being among God's people and being around the preaching of God's word keeps you close to God. Amen. So David didn't go to battle here. It said, and it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And uh, we don't have to go into all the details. We know that David brought Bathsheba over. We know that uh, Bathsheba conceived. She was pregnant with a child. And David called Uriah the Hittite from the front lines. He had had them send him there. And he tried to get Uriah to cover up his sin. But Uriah wouldn't do it because Uriah was more honorable than David. And this is without going into details. Y'all know the details. But... I thought about this, and I'm just going to slow down for a minute here. Because, you know, things happen in real time nowadays. You know, I remember a time when I was in the Navy, and you'd write a letter, and you might wait, I don't know, you might wait three or four weeks before you get a response. And you go back even longer than that, that letter might have taken three months to get to somebody, and another three months to get to you, you know? (coughs) But in David's time, they had messengers and they were waiting days for the messengers to send the messages. And you know, you can, you can mess up in a hurry, right? And you might realize it in a hurry. But I thought about the time span of this, for all of this to take place and for David to scheme all of this. His heart had gotten away from God. He, he wasn't thinking about God. I don't think he was looking to stab God in the heart or to get away from Him. All he saw was a beautiful woman and all he saw was somebody he wanted and then when he found out she was pregnant all he could think of was well i'm the king we we don't need this scandal getting out and he he begins to cover it up he tries to find a way to cover it up and when he's not able to do that he finds another way to cover it up and you know sin's kind of like that it starts out on this end of the scale. It starts out with just a word. It starts out with a look. It starts out with a discussion. And then after a little while, it'll slide over to this. And then after a while, it'll slide over to that. (laughs) You you see someone that gets away from God at first, you know, they'll start, well, you know, I just, I I don't need to read today or I don't need to, whatever it is, there's any, any number of things that will begin to pull you away from God. Because the devil has no end of devices for it. And he'll draw you away of your own lust. He'll draw you away of the thing that you think you have conquered. And he'll, put, he'll say, yeah, see this little chink in the armor here? He'll pull you away. And David, over time, these are all conscious decisions that he makes. And all of these decisions over time, he's not thinking about God. He's just thinking about what he needs to do next, what he needs to do next. And he begins to get pulled further and further away. Until we reach the point over here in, verse number, in chapter number 12 where Nathan the prophet comes up to him and he gives him the parable because God's given a message, so he gives the king a parable. And through this parable, David condemns himself. Uh, chapter number 12, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Now he's obviously given a parable that that resembles Uriah the Hittite. He had one wife. David had many wives that he had acquired over the years. He said, but the poor man had nothing. And verse number four, and there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And in verse number five, David's not even thinking about what he's done. He's not even thinking about it. He's thinking, I, I'm here, I'm the king, and I'm in this position, and I'm about to make judgment on this. Nathan's telling me about this man, and he's about to make judgment on him. And David knows the law. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, because he had no pity. And in verse number 7, Nathan the prophet looks up at the king. He stands before the king. And preachers admire him for what he does because he's able to stand before the king and point out his sin. David reaches, uh, Nathan reaches points up and he says to David, he said, thou art the man. And I've thought about that. I was at work one time. You know, you're supposed to get a permit before you go into an area to work on your equipment. And I've, I can monitor my system from where I am. And if you, if you break a safety rule out there, you get thrown out of the plant. That's just plain and simple. This incident they had a few weeks ago, one of the idiots pulled out his cell phone and was filming the fire. I think he showed the video to him so they, he could help, be a help or something, or else he posted it. I don't know. I remember another fire they had, somebody posted it on social media. They were, they were looking for him. They were hunting him down. But that was it. That was it for his workout at the plant. And uh, I look out there one morning. I'd uh, One of my units isn't talking, and usually all you got to do is power cycle it. You do the O-N-O-F-F. You know what I'm talking about? And then the <laughs> O-N. You turn it off, you turn it back on again. That's the tech trick. And that's all I had to do. And the unit was by the road. I mean, but it was still in there. I got a permit every time I had to work on it. And I'm like, well, all I gotta do is stop by real quick and just check this unit, just real quick. I stop by and real quick, I I cycle it real quick, and then I see one of the operators that knew me. And I won't say who. I don't want to get either one of us in trouble. You don't even know when this happened. This might have been 12, 15 years ago. But I was. Uh, she looked at me and she said, are you checked into the unit? Well, that's easy to prove or not prove, right? And I'm like, no. And her face turned and my heart turned and seized up in me. I mean, because I realize it's not like I get kicked out of that plan I go to work somewhere else. That's the end. That's the end. I'm looking at her and I'm like, my job is in her hands right at this moment. And, uh, that's just a small thing. David knows the law. David knows the law backwards and forwards. He knows God. And he's sitting there, and he's on a, his mind is on a whole different area, and he's laying down judgment. He said that he shall surely die, and he'll restore fourfold. And Nathan the prophet, he says, thou art the man. And right there in that moment, David could have done one of two things. He did one of them. But when Saul got called out over in chapter number 15, I think it's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, we don't have to go there, but when Saul called out, he was, to, he was to destroy the Amalekites, every one of them, but they kept back the best of the cattle. They kept back the best of the sheep because well, you hate to get rid of it, but God said get rid of it all. But uh, he sees Samuel the prophet, and he said, I've done all that God commanded and uh, Samuel said, what meaneth the lowing of the cattle and the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And he said, all the people kept it. And Saul began to redirect. And when Samuel pointed out his sin in not doing what God had said, he said, God would have established your throne forever, but now he's chosen a man better than you. And you know, Saul's reaction in that moment, he, he said, but, but Samuel, come and worship with me. That's going to happen later, but can you come and worship with me so the people know that you're still with me so that God, you know. And he doesn't say that, but that's what he's trying to get Samuel to do so that he can worship in front of the people so that, that he doesn't lose face in front of the people. David's sitting there in front of his servants. They know his sin. It couldn't have been a secret in the palace, but they weren't going to say anything. And they see Nathan the prophet point the finger, and David sees that finger point up at him. And David doesn't even try to justify himself. He doesn't try to come up with an excuse. He doesn't try to deny it. He doesn't try to step away from it. And God wants people after his own heart. God wants people to love him, but God wants people (laughs) that are willing to surrender, that are willing to admit when they're wrong. God can't change you if you're not willing to admit it. And here in uh, verse number seven, Nathan said to David, Thou art a man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, I delivered thee out of hand of, out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife. You've committed adultery. Punishment is death. You've killed Uriah. Even though he didn't do it directly with his hand, he might have justified it in his mind, and he might have said, well, you know, that's the enemy that killed him. I just put him in a bad spot. And we'll do things like that. We'll have justification. And I'm not saying these are on equal ground, but it was just as bad to me if I would have lost my job. And I go out there and I say, well, it's just real quick. It's by the road. It's not really in the unit. I just have to get a permit normally. But all I got to do is open the cabinet and pull that plug out for a few seconds and put it back. But I had to have that screwdriver to open it up, right? Sometimes I carry a quarter to justify opening it. <laughs> I, don't, I hadn't done that since, I promise you. But I tell you what, the fear in me, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, all you know, all she has to do is report me, and I'm out of here. And that's a small thing. David's looking at Nathan, and he's hearing this, and he's saying, "God's God's punishment is death." He's not worried about his kingdom. He and he's he's not even worried about. Uh, he's not even worried about the punishment. We find out in Psalm 51, and we're going to go there in a minute. But David concern is that he has sinned against God he says thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he admitted it. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And he said, Man, that's awful quick. That all, all David had to do was say, I have sinned. Well, that's not the way it works. God knows the heart. God knows whether you've repented or God knows whether you tried to justify yourself. You go back to the days of, in the Garden of Eden when, when the serpent beguiled Eve and, and uh, God asked Adam about, why, who told you? you know, and, and Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. And God punished, you know, the judgment had to fall on all of them. So when Nathan departed his house, and then it goes on, we know about the child. We know the child died. We know the next child from Bathsheba was Solomon, and he ruled. But look at Psalm 51. Because I want to talk about the road back. I had a sign a couple weeks ago. I've been changing the sign regular except for this week. I said, pray up, if you mess up, then fess up, but don't give up. You know, your walk's not meant to be this hills and valleys of your relationship with the Lord. But if you got a soft heart, if you got a tender heart like David, you begin to see where you messed up, then be willing to fess it up. Be willing to be honest with God about it. And we see in David's prayer what his primary concern is. And we see the long road back. We see it's a road of pardon. We see it's a road of penitence and a road of God's presence. And it ends at the end with praise for God. David prays in Psalm 51. It's, uh, it may say it in your Bible, Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Only God can forgive you. You can't work your way back. At that moment I'm standing out there and this is kind of, I feel like it's a weak illustration, but man, it's the last time I remember my heart being struck with, man, I am, my whole life is about to change right here in this moment. But I was at that woman's mercy, and she kind of gave me some grace. And i tell you what, I go and get my permit every time. I don't even think about it. I, I just do it. Sometimes it takes longer to do the permit than it does to do the actual work, but I'll do it. But he calls out to God. He said, he's calling out to God for forgiveness. He's not making a deal. You know, there's a lot of people that will make a deal with God. Man, I'll get into church, Lord, I'll I'll donate a tenth of all that I make. I'll do this and I'll do that. If you'll just do this for me. David calls out on God's mercy. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. God's the only one that can forgive sin. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. So it starts out with pardon. Your Christian walk starts out with pardon. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. There's a lot of people that reach that moment. It's kind of like Nathan the prophet standing in front of him says, thou art the man. I don't know if y'all remember when we were looking at way of the master. I stopped it on this one section of the video. You see he's talking to the girl. He's witnessing to her and she's making jokes and things like that, but then all of a sudden, and you can pause it, and you can see that moment, and you can see it in her eyes, and I think she's standing before the judgment seat right there. And you see it stricken in her eyes, and her whole demeanor changes, because in that moment, she realizes, I have broken God's law, and I'm condemned. I'm the one that's condemned Hey yeah, I'm going to hell. Because if people can walk around, they can justify themselves. They can say, well, if I work hard enough. And they say, well, I just believe my good works outweigh my bad works. Then I can make it into heaven. And you can justify yourself. Well, that unit, that's by the road. That's not really in the unit. Or or, uh, David. Well, you know, it was the enemy that killed Uriah. We can always justify things in our own mind. Job had said, if I justify myself, my own mouth will condemn me. But uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't justify himself. He calls out to God for pardon. The first step of being a Christian is to understand that you've sinned and broken God's law. And it is God that gives the forgiveness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse number two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And i own walk it's Jesus Christ that cleanses you. You can try to purify yourself. You can say, Well, I'll do better. I'll do good. And you should. There's things that you need to put aside when you get saved. There needs to be a change in your life. But there comes time when you get dirty. It's Jesus Christ that cleans you up and purifies you, it's drawing close to Him. And then there's penitence. He says, Verse number three For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only. Have I sinned? The dictionary says that the penitent is one that repents of sin, one sorrowful on the account of his transgressions. There's a lot of guys when they get caught doing a crime, they get put in jail, they're sorry they got caught. They have no guilt about what they did. They have no problem with who they hurt or the lives that they damaged. They're sorry that they got caught. David could have been sorry that he was caught. Oh, man, look what God's going to do to me. I'm sure that he saw the judgment coming and he he knew that God would follow through on it. But his concern when we look in Psalm 51 is his relationship with the Lord. He says, he's penitent. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. There's a lot of people that won't admit that they're a sinner. They won't admit that they've done anything wrong, even though the law points them to it. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David realizes that even though he did, the harm was, Uriah died because of his sin. Bathsheba was dishonored because of his sin. His sin also, was, it was against God. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And you need to understand that just because you do good here and do bad over there, it's God's law that you're breaking. You're the one, he, you're, he's the one that will stand in judgment of you. He said, behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The Bible says in the New Testament, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. He said, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And uh, your relationship with God, most of all, needs to be honest. If you're, if you're struggling with a besetting sin, if you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with jealousy, or if you're struggling with something, you need to be honest with God about it. There's so many people that'll bury that, and, and they'll be pious when they're around God. I've talked about that effect where Somebody will get, oh, you're a preacher, and then all of a sudden their language will clear up, you know, because that's what you're seeing on the outside. But be honest with God in the inward parts. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was pure and right and everything that he did, but because he constantly sought God's way. He wanted his relationship with God. He said, behold, I was shaped in iniquity. Uh, Verse number 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter, so, whiter than snow. That hyssop is what was dipped in the blood and then put on the doorposts when they were in Egypt. And God saw that blood and passed over. And David saying, wash me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. If God cleans you, you'll be clean. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities, and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you've gotten in a place where you're away from God, and I've been there, you've gotten in a place where, where God just seems at a, a distance. Everything is just a memory. That relationship that you have with the Lord is just a memory. And you think about this it, for your loved ones, too, what they're going through. Well that relationship is just a memory. You remember walking close to God. You remember praying on your knees. You remember reading the Bible, and it would kind of sting. And you'd go, oh, I need to fix that. But now you're reading the Bible, and you look at it, and you say, man, that's me that's condemned. You've gotten so far away from God. And that's what happens to people. They get so far away from God, it's hard to even look at it. It's hard to even hear the preaching. It's hard to even hear the Word of God because it's so convicting. But he says... Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. That's the point when you're drawing close to God. When he shows you something and you don't reject it outright. You don't say, well, I just believe in loving God. But you rejoice that God's showing you something. This is going to draw me closer to the Lord. He says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he prays for God's presence. He says, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And it's by degrees. You're walking with God, you're going to church. You sing the hymns, and man, they mean something to you. You sing praises to God, and it means something to you, but it's just a little step. Well, I'm going to go do this today, or I'll catch up over here, and it's just another step. And pretty soon, you're just way over here looking back at where you were in that relationship. preacher said you're not supposed to get away and just uh, pray to get back all the time. But I tell you, there's people out there that are struggling hard with sin. And it's something to understand. They're struggling hard with sin, and they really do miss that presence of God. They really do miss that relationship with God. Look at verse number 12. David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. you remember when you first got saved? It's like that... A woman, I wish I could talk to the woman in the video. If you see that moment. You see that conviction on her heart. It, it's like I, she knows that she's going to hell. And I remember when I was an 11-year-old boy and I remember knowing I was going to hell for the sins that I committed. You say, what can you do as an 11-year-old boy? It's like all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And I saw myself in my own sin and I saw the condemnation. But then the answer was given through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the answer when you're coming back. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Over in Romans chapter number seven, Paul says he he uh, he gets caught up in doing things that he doesn't want to do. He uh, that that I would do that I do not that that I would not do that I do. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's through your relationship with Christ. Paul uh, David says here, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And then there's praise. When you're right with God, when you've finished that walk, when, oh, yes, you never finish it, you get closer to God. But when you've gotten closer to God, then there's a, something that changes in your heart. When you get filled up with the Holy Spirit, he begins working around you. He says, then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The man that says, Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this and this, and I'll never fail to do it. I'll make donations, I'll build up churches, I'll do whatever I need to do. God, if you'll just save my granddaughter, if you'll just save this person, if you'll just save me from this, if you'll just do this for me or save me from this situation, or God, if you just help me pass this test, then I'll do all of this for you. God doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But he says in verse number 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The broken heart. That's what he wants. He wants you to realize where you are and where, how you got there, how that got you there. How's that working out for you? Over in Romans chapter number 6, Paul's talking and he uh, one of my favorite verses, number 11, he says, uh, likewise, reckon yourselves indeed to be dead unto sin, but alive unto Christ. And he talks about serving sin. You're going to serve somebody, but whoever you serve, that, that's your master. Some people serve sin. And he said, you once did it. And he said, how did that work out for you? Let me get to Romans chapter number six. But he says, uh Verse number 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. He said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. And this is what I was looking for, verse 20, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and everlasting life. You used to serve sin and you you were free from righteousness. You could do what you want. But how'd that work out for you? You find out those things only lead to death. But we have the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So back in Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. And then he goes on. He says, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. And then they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. So in Psalm 51, we see David's request for pardon. And we see his true penitence. We see his sorrow for his sin, not because he got caught, but his sorrow for what he did. We see, his, we see his desire for God's presence and we see him praising God for all that he's done.